Welcome to Lead Pods, the official leadership podcast from USMB for pastors and church leaders, where our goal is to increase our impact together. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 42 of the USMB Lead Pods. My name is Matt Ayersman. I'll be your host today, and I am really looking forward to sharing this conversation with you. It's been an episode I've really kind of had highlighted for a while, really excited to share. So today I'm joined by Travis Jost, who has been a missionary to Burundi, as well as Andy Owen, who's been a missionary to Thailand. Uh, Both of them are missionaries through the MB Missions Agency, known as Multiply, great organization that sends missionaries all over the world. And these guys had a lot of really interesting things to share about what they learned while they were overseas, and then maybe even more interestingly, or more importantly, um, what they've learned is they've come back to America. Uh, Andy is in the process right now of moving his family back to the States, and Travis is currently back for a short visit before he returns to Burundi. Uh, But they both have a lot of really interesting things to say about things that we as Americans are just blind to. One thing I remember learning in college is in our day-to-day life, we're all just blind to our own blindness. We don't we don't see what we don't see. And so I thought it was really helpful to hear from these guys, uh, both culturally, uh, things in the church, politics, all those kinds of things, things that are what we can learn from other cultures around the world. And Andy and Travis both asked me to give a little disclaimer at the, at the front here that they, they claim not to be experts in the countries of Thailand or Burundi or intercultural studies, but I might beg to differ. I think they are pretty much experts, but it was just a really fascinating conversation. I think you're really going to enjoy. It did run a little bit longer than our usual episode, so I'm actually going to cut it right here and get right to a really great conversation with Andy Owen and Travis Jost. On December 1st, USMB will launch our annual Giving Tuesday campaign to celebrate and encourage giving. Over the past six years, we've raised over $176,000 for Kingdom Ministries. This year, with your help, we hope to add to that amount. All donations on Giving Tuesday will help resource USMB church planters and provide lead initiatives for MB pastors and churches. Please consider supporting USMB on Giving Tuesday by visiting usmb.org and follow the link to donate online. You can also watch your inbox and follow USMB on social media for more information. Thanks for your continued generosity on this year's Giving Tuesday. All right, my friends, well, I've got a conversation I'm really excited to dive into today. I've got two of my friends with me today. We've got Travis Jost and Andy Owen joining us for this episode. Both of them are in the MB family and have been for a long time. Uh, they've served both in the U.S. and over abroad, and so I just want to hear from these guys what they have learned both abroad and now that they're currently back in the States, uh, just some things that they've been thinking and learning. So real quick, let's go on the horn. Travis, tell us about you before you went on your mission trip or your mission job <laughs> and what you did there and why you're back. Just kind of give us some backfill there. Sure thing. Uh, my name is Travis Jost, um, born and raised in Kansas, grew up in a Mennonite Brethren church, Mennonite Brethren family. Uh, so it's always been a part of my life. And uh, went to Tabor College, graduated from Tabor, and took a job at Fidelity Bank here in Wichita, Kansas, and worked there for 20 years and 14 days <laughs> to the day. Um, and then felt like God was calling me to something else. And mm-hmm. so I was, I like to say, I was foolish enough to go on a short term mission trip. I visited Craig and Fabi Jost in France a number of years ago with Ridgepoint. And Felt like God was calling me into something deeper. 
So I joined with Multiply and was sent out to uh, Burundi. I had to look it up. I didn't know where Burundi was. I had to do the Google thing and uh, have lived there the last three years. I left in 2018 and I'm back for a couple months in the States now to uh, connect with friends and churches and refresh a little bit before I go back. Your story could be a movie, because you were, <laughs> a Marvel well, movie. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> yes, you had a very successful baking career, twenty years. So, can you, I mean, we could talk for hours about this, but was it just kind of a lack of fulfillment, or what made you make that huge? That's a, that's a huge change. It was a huge change. Yeah, um, I don't know. I think I was maybe looking for something more. I always said, uh, you know, I worked at a great environment, a great place, great people to work with. And I always said, if I'm going to leave this bank, if I'm going to leave Fidelity, it's got to be either double the salary or something I really believe in. And I'm not making double the salary. So <laughs> it was definitely something I really believed in and was passionate about. And it's been no regrets. Incredible um, in God's faithfulness and his fruitfulness in that journey. And uh, didn't have a lot of answers, but just tried to step into the next step, the next yes, if you will. Yeah. So again, we could spend hours, but just quickly, what are what does Burundi look like? What are you doing there? Tell us about your time in Burundi. Yeah, so I've used a little bit of my banking background, uh, working with finances there or budgets. Um, I've had to learn language. I've had to learn culture. So that's a lot of my first term uh, with Multiply in Burundi. Uh, and then it's finding partners there that we can team up with. I think the old stereotype or maybe the old model was we're going to be on stage and we're going to be the ones preaching and we're going to be the ones sharing the good news. And I think that's changed in the last 10 or 15 years to we want to find people. We want to find partners that can reach their own people. And how do we assist them in that? So mm-hmm. a lot of it is uh, encouragement sometimes to know yeah. that these Burundian leaders aren't out here by themselves. There's a, a global network of a united church, of a united body that is here to uh, assist and inspire and encourage and there's things we can learn going both ways from our our national partners and things they can learn from us as well yeah cool cool we'll dive a lot deeper so put a pin in that <laughs> mr andy owen how about you tell us about you i know you were overseas for a long time so tell us your story yeah thanks thanks Matt. thanks for having me it's a privilege to be here. And yeah, I also grew up in Kansas, um, but unlike Travis, I was not a Mennonite brethren. So I'm a Gentile Mennonite, uh, <laughs> grafted in uh, <laughs> through marriage, so to speak. But uh, I, I ended up going to Tabor College, um, mostly to play sports, but I uh, grew, grew to love the Mennonite brethren family. And uh, yeah, met my wife, Carmen. And after we got married, uh, we really felt like God was calling us to overseas mission. So we joined up with um, uh, two other families, Ricky and Karen Sanchez and Dave and Louise Sinclair Peters, and formed a group called Team 2000 that went out to do church planting in Thailand. And uh, it was 20 years ago. So did church planting and and, uh, other projects and some leadership development and lots of other different roles. But it has been a blast. Yeah. Again, we could talk for hours. So what's interesting about your story, one thing that's interesting is you were there for 20 years You've moved your family back to the States. I've heard you say that you're kind of coming back to a, this isn't your home nation anymore. Like you, you kind of think of yourself as a Thai person. It's yeah. just countercultural for you. So can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. So a year ago, I was, I was reading um, in Nehemiah and uh, I was 
I don't consider myself to be like Nehemiah necessarily, except there were some really, there were some clear um, correlations to what God was doing in our life at the time. We'd been in Thailand for 20 years and we're just asking God, okay, so what, what does this look like? Should we stay? Should we go somewhere else? And uh, Nehemiah, as far as I could tell, he had never been to Jerusalem. Um, hmm. He may have been born in Babylon. So this was, that was his home culture. Hmm. And yet he had this burden and passion for his, his passport country, so to speak. And uh-huh. so the 20th year of the king, he got this word that uh, things weren't going so good and uh, got a burden and God called him back um, or called him there. And again, uh-huh. I don't know if he'd ever been there, so he wouldn't yeah. have been back. So we, it's hard for us to say we're back in the U.S., even though we are transitioning here to live, uh, to live full time here now. For me as a pastor at Ridgepoint Church and my wife will continue on with Multiply. But it's hard to say we're coming back because, like like you said, it feels different than it did 20 years ago. Uh, yeah. It feels like a new mission field. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, our Thai church, was, which was uh, amazing when they prayed for us to send us out. They said, hey, we're sending you as missionaries now to, mm-hmm. to the U.S. Yeah. Our first missionaries to the U.S. <laughs> That's so awesome. That's really special. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's true. America is different. Like that 20 years ago, America looks a lot different than America today. Mm-hmm. So we'll start with you, Andy. So how, what things are you noticing now that you, you're away for 20 years, you're back? You visited fairly often. So yeah. it's not like you have totally culture shock probably. But yeah. what are, as you're returning, what are you seeing that's like, oh, man, this, this is going to take some getting used to? Yeah. You know, it's kind of funny because when you've been away for a certain time and you come back, you do notice some things that are different. Mm-hmm. It's almost like if you uh, – our kids – well, as growing up, you know, on the mission field and coming back every three years, uh, we wanted to buy them T-shirts that would just say, <laughs> look how much we've grown. Because people haven't seen it for three years. Yeah. see them again three years yeah, later. Right. They're like, wow, look how much you've grown. And so they're just like, just give me the T-shirt. I'm tired of this. <laughs> but you, you don't, as parents, we didn't necessarily notice it when you only see things every three years. So at first it was fairly random stuff. Like 20 years ago, we didn't, we couldn't pay for gas at the pump. And so oh, three yeah. years later, I'm like, wow, you can actually pay at the pump. <laughs> and then the next time it was like, wow, there's this thing called like high speed internet with a cable, you know? <laughs> right. And then three years after that, I was like, well, we ditched the cables and we're on to Wi-Fi. And so every time he came back, it was something new. But the, this time, the thing that was different this time is that we came back and it just felt like everybody was mad at each other, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is, mm-hmm. which is, which is funny and not funny. Yeah. Um, but rather than some of the more technological things, we just have seen that there's a level of divisiveness and, and vitriol and camps that have been formed. Yeah. That's, uh, that's different. It mm-hmm. feels different to me um, than it did 20 years ago. So, yeah. Yeah. And do you think, is that a, uniquely American thing? Like, did you see that in Thailand just to a different extent? Or is that just a, no, Americans are just stubborn and like to be right and they're going to dig their heels in? Or what's different between here and Thailand? Oh, absolutely not uniquely an American thing. I mean, we went through several different coups in Thailand Mm -hmm. where, you know, people would come in and and didn't agree with the way the government was going. And so it's like every 10 years they had to flush the political toilet and, and come with a coup and start the whole thing fresh and they would have people that wear different colored shirts that would be against each other. So no, div- divisiveness mm-hmm. is not a uniquely American thing. Yeah. Um, it is a generally human condition to mm-hmm. be uh, mm-hmm. sinful and broken and divisive. I think that um, the way that we experience it in America, though, sometimes can be different because just the way the way we are as a culture mm-hmm. um, and that we tend to be more individualistic, tend to be more here in the U S tend to be more 
um, focused on personal rights and, mm-hmm. and those things. And so it's harder sometimes to find common ground um, than in other places where the culture might be more structured in terms of society and group and mm-hmm. family oriented. So, yeah, yeah, so there is some differences, but certainly not a uniquely American thing to, yeah. to be divisive. <laughs> right. <laughs> Maybe just magnified sometimes. Yeah. But. So, Travis, you're in an interesting spot because you, again, you're American through and through. Right on. Even Gandhi said, what, three years? Mm-hmm. So you, when did you, what year would that be that you left? 2018. So America was already pretty divisive at that point. Right. But, so tell me about from your perspective. One thing I thought about you, Travis, you, I think a lot of people ask you a lot of the same questions that I get asked as a new parent. Like when you go overseas, they're probably asking, how are you sleeping? How are you eating? Right? Isn't that, <laughs> don't you, aren't, isn't that the top questions? Right, right. So, but what other, what other things did you have to get used to both in Burundi and then now that you're back? Yeah, I think the divisiveness was definitely apparent when I came back. Like, you know, things have changed in the last 20 years. Things mm-hmm. have changed in the last three years. Yeah. Things definitely changed last year. Like yeah, we yeah. had pandemic, we had elections, we had racial yeah. stuff, I'll say. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a tough year. And reading from it afar, mm-hmm. from afar, like in Burundi, mm-hmm. as I was reading stories or seeing news or watching videos, mm-hmm. I don't know that I got the full impact on how divided we were, how isolated we were, you know, you have to stay in your house for three months or whatever, how, how yeah. lonely that can make you. And, and so coming back, I think there's still some healing for us as a country, mm-hmm. you know, uh, through that process. And mm-hmm. so I've kind of stepped into that and just noticed how people talk, what they talk about, because the pandemic was, was big, of course, but it wasn't an everyday conversation in Burundi. Okay. And so coming back, it's difficult to have any conversation here mm-hmm. without mentioning pandemic or COVID or whatever. Yeah. So you notice it and, and it comes up. And I mean, we want to talk about bigger things. You know, we want to talk about Jesus or the kingdom or what's God doing in your life. But it kind of all gets guided back to some of those hot topic news items. Mm-hmm. It feels like. Yeah. yeah. One thing, so I, I have not been long-term overseas, but I've been on several short-term mission trips. And I'm always struck by two things, how there are some crazy differences. Like you just have to get used to, there are crazy cultural differences, but I'm also always surprised at how similar everything is. Like people are people. Christians are Christians. Like there are are definitely important differences, but I'm also just every time shocked, like, oh, this person is so much like me. Like we think we're so different, but we're really not. So in Thailand and Burundi, there was a pandemic. Like you said, there are p- politically divisive moments. I'm sure, I'm not sure what race looks like. We can maybe talk about that in just a minute, but there's the same kind of problems, right? Mm-hmm. So why do you think we respond to them so differently? Do you have any insight on why did, why did things feel so different here versus overseas? It's maybe uh, resources. It's maybe news outlets as well. Burundi is a pretty restriction, restricted country news-wise, like the government okay. is in control. Uh, you can't say anything bad about the government. You can't challenge the government. And maybe that's all I'll say about that. You just have to be careful what you say. Mm-hmm. And so maybe you're not getting the full picture. There's always gossip. There's always news. There's always somebody that has an idea. Yeah, it's it's hard to know, especially as an outsider, mm-hmm. what's the true picture? What's the real story? What's really going on? Or yeah. is this just what I have access to? Mm-hmm. Um, so you're always kind of a little in the dark, I would say. Yeah. Bit. Just to be clear, I'm not an expert on intercultural studies or anthropology. And so, uh, but just some of the things that I've observed, you know, in terms of the differences between 
a country like Thailand and maybe like Burundi and like the U.S. There's an author had written a book about the difference between a warm culture and a cold culture and how warm cultures are often like the rest of the world that are more communally focused, more focused on relationships and uh, the common good. Uh, cold cultures tend to be more focused on individual rights and mm-hmm. individual freedoms. And so when you look at those things, then um, and if that's the if that's the water you're swimming in, so to speak, mm-hmm. um, in your culture, then yeah, our our response to things like COVID are going to be shaped by that. Uh-huh. And uh, and so in Thailand, whether or not you wear a mask is just not even an issue. Like it's, mm-hmm. I mean, actually, everyone wears masks. Like it's just yeah. it, it, like and it's and I think it's not because people there are less educated or less whatever, like less focused on on the the science of it it's mm-hmm. just that they as a community that they've been they've heard and they feel like this is what's best for our whole community and so that's mm-hmm. the way they make decisions here we have a lot more emphasis on individual rights and liberties and so mm-hmm. that's reflected in the choices that we make so yeah. that's a broad broad picture of some of the way that we look at culture differently and then make decisions differently mm-hmm. based on the country we're in yeah this is delicate, so I want to tread lightly, but I know that there are probably some things that you guys have seen where it's so obvious to you that there's a right way to do something. You may or may, may not be right. You might be wrong, but in your mind, like, oh, this is clear. There's clearly a right answer of how to do this. And these, either the, the Burundians or the Thailand people, Thai people aren't doing it. Or maybe now you're back in America and you're like, oh, the Thai people have this figured out. Americans are the idiots. So, but I'm just, I'm, that really fascinates me. This, this, as People in the in the West, we feel like we're you know, we usually feel like we're right about something, or maybe you've discovered a better way. As if you're wrestling with that, how do you think we can make progress? And how can we work together? How can we learn from each other? Have you thought about that at all, Travis? The first thing I jump to is resources or finances. Like I think that's what our culture does well. Like we manage what we have, we manage it so that it can be there in the future. And in Burundi, that concept is not there and it's we don't have it today we'll pray for it and god will provide so we can Mm -hmm. learn from that Mm -hmm. but i think there's something that they can learn from us on maybe saving a little bit for a quote-unquote rainy day Mm -hmm. or uh, Mm -hmm. let's try to have a budget or a plan so that in five years we're at this level and then we can build on that to the next level and the next level so it's not to say that we're right and they're yeah. wrong. We just view money mm-hmm. and resources differently. So there's there's a challenge there when we come together. Yeah, I think this is best. They think this is best. You're always kind of caught in the middle trying to uh, determine how to work together in those areas. So yeah. there's a lot we can learn from each other, I think, as you said. Mm-hmm. I imagine in your shoes especially with 20 years of banking experience. <laughs> <laughs> and you said at the beginning you went in with this – a humble posture of let's take the local leaders and let's invest in them. Not let's not be the American heroes coming to save the day. Yeah. I, I just imagine you're just pulling your hair out sometimes. You're like, <laughs> let me show you how to do some bookkeeping or whatever, exactly. whatever it was. Exactly. I'm sure that was just, I, I've tried to set up this big elaborate spreadsheet. And I've had, <laughs> hey, this is how we're going to use this. And this can tell us this. And we get these reports out of the information three months later, <laughs> nobody's using it. Nobody's updated it. So I just kind of throw my hands up and like, all right, we'll have to try uh, something else or go back to zero and start a different way. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's frustrating, but uh, <laughs> it's been a learning experience. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And in and, and their shoes, they're probably thinking, oh, Travis doesn't get it. He's been here two days and he's trying to exactly. change everything. Exactly. So I, I see. Exactly. And I think that's the 
often the struggle. Like it's it's their ministry, it's mm-hmm. their organization. I'm not here to cast your vision. I'm not yeah. here to help you, you know, to manage this for you. Like you're the leaders. How can we, again, how can we partner and walk alongside you well? Yeah. So, and since you've been at this a lot longer, how have you handled that? Either way, mm. you see something that you want to change or you wish you could bring back to the States. How do you handle some of those cultural things like that? Prayer and humility. <laughs> I just think of, I just think of the cultural lenses that we wear um, are so ingrained in us. And I just, that Romans 12, that talks about how don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, um, your spiritual act of worship in Christ. And honestly, one of the gifts I think of being in another culture is just recognizing how desperately we need Jesus to help us make decisions on a day-to-day basis. Um, you mentioned things that you think you should, were right or they're right about. And I just, playing off that word right, I just think a lot about our Americans tend to tend to view, have a high view of their own personal rights. Right. And right. Exactly. <laughs> got it both ways. And there's some real good that comes from that because the value of the individual and individual liberties is really important. It's something I think we've shown to the rest of the world. Um, however, sometimes it gets me in trouble. So just last year in Thailand, for example, I like to run. And so every year I would run in the Chiang Mai Marathon. And but last year they they said, OK, the Chiang Mai Marathon is going to go on. This is Chiang Mai, Thailand, by the way, and where we lived, but only for Thai people, not for foreigners. Oh. And because they said, well, foreigners are who brought COVID to the country, oh. and so we're not going to let them run. Mm-hmm. And I was livid. Like, I was I was very upset because I also could read the Thai, like, this in, in the social media and mm-hmm. could read the Thai language and hear them say, yeah, let's just do it a year without foreigners, haha. And I found this American sense of justice. Maybe it's a godly sense. I don't know. But the, I was just, I, you know, I was ready to, to write. Uh, and in fact, I did. I had a Thai person help me write up a, a response, kind of a letter to the editor to try to blow the lid on this injustice. Yeah. So, you know, and it was interesting to be on the other side of this mm-hmm. thing mm-hmm. where, uh, you know, I'm a white male in America. That's not something I've experienced a lot is that right. kind of injustice. And so... My response was to fight it. And as I was just about to, to kind of whatever, blow the lid on this thing, um, I felt like God just put it, something in my heart, a check in my spirit to say, I didn't call you here to be right. I mm. called you here to be a light. Mm. Um, and it really just made me go, okay, I, I, my rights, my individual rights are not as important as what it means to be a light. Mm-hmm. And uh, that that's something that, is hard to do when mm-hmm. our cultural things and things kind of kick in mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I don't know how to do that well. Something that I think we need daily grace and mercy to be able yeah. to to live Christ-centered and to live as a light when mm-hmm. we're focused, easy to focus on our rights. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. So do they consider you a foreigner because you were white? Or like you were there for 20 years, you know the language, you know the culture, you're a leader. <laughs> well, that's the thing. So, and I hadn't left the country you know, I was I was there the whole time since COVID existed. And so it was funny, but I definitely was looked at differently and not in a way that should be considered as prejudiced or anything. If anything, people looked at us at a, as a higher like mm-hmm. level and uh, than, than anything else. So, but yeah, we were definitely looked at as, as the other. And I'm sure you did too, Travis and Burundi. We probably looked a little different there. <laughs> 
well, we would we would go running in the hills. I had a running group, and so we would go running in the hills. And we're way, you know, a mile or two out in the middle of nowhere, and you would just hear people shout, Corona, Corona. <laughs> they were shouting at us. We were bringing yeah. Corona. Wow. And I yeah. would say back in Corundi, Amahoro, you know, Rocundo, peace, love. That's what we're bringing. We're not bringing mm. Corona. So wow, that was their perception. Same thing, mm-hmm. that we brought this to the country and you're spreading it all over. So mm-hmm. it never got aggressive. It never got violent, but there was definitely some name calling. So yeah. <laughs> it's interesting. I was, when it first broke, and this isn't a podcast about the COVID, but when it first <laughs> broke, my kids asked me, dad, if things get really bad, would you rather be in this U S or in Thailand? Hmm. And I said, the U S I just feel like we have the resources to handle it. That year, last year, Thailand didn't get any cases. It's hit us. It's, they've gotten a wave now, but um, in the U S it just really took off. And, mm-hmm. I think the rest of the world was really looking at the U.S. with a mixture of curiosity and contempt. Like, mm-hmm. what is going on over there with the politics and the yeah. riots and the, you mm-hmm. know, and uh, it just, it really, I love my country. Mm-hmm. I love, love, love mm-hmm. the U.S. and all that God has called us to do and be. Um, it was tough to be an American in another country last year. To, oh, sure. Because yeah. people are looking at us like, I thought you guys were a developed country. Right. Yeah. Um, right. So. Yeah, it was challenging. My uh, Burundian friends were joking. Tell your friends in America to come to Burundi. There's no corona here. <laughs> you can come here. All right. Yeah. 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 I'm the same. Like, I'm, you know, proud to be here. And I'm also often ashamed of people here. Mm-hmm. It's just amazing yeah. some of the things that we, as a quote-unquote developed nation, as some people would call us a quote-unquote Christian nation, I'm, I wouldn't mm-hmm. use that language necessarily. And I, but, would, I would add to that that they all follow, at least Burundi, they were fo- they follow what's going on in the U.S. They know our yeah, news. They absolutely. Were, they knew the election cycle. They knew all the candidates. They were yeah. asking me about like I don't know this guy. But yeah, it's so true. They are tracking. That was a new experience for me. I didn't know the rest of the world was watching us mm-hmm. as much as they do. It's very true. Like the rest of the world really does. Some people just look at American politics like as a hobby. Yeah, yeah. Thai people who knew more about the candidates than I did. Yeah. And yeah. so yeah, it was. It was fascinating. Um, I don't know that we're still what we would call like a city on a hill, but we are still like, for better or worse, uh, what we do, people are watching. Like, and like I said last year, it was a mix of curiosity and (laughs) yeah, (laughs) disgust. (laughs) I want to hit just at least briefly on the race stuff. Travis, I think you were in an interesting position where raised in Kansas, Mm -hmm. surrounded by mostly white people. You go to Burundi and race just blows up in America. Like it was crazy here. And you are in an unusual situation where you are one of the only white people. So what was, what was that like both since you were a minority and especially with everything going on here, what was, how were you kind of going through all that? It's interesting for me because for the first time in my life, I was a minority Mm -hmm. and it's odd being there that I was a minority, but a minority of authority and power. Mm -hmm. I have money, I have status. So it's not how minorities are viewed in the States, I would say. So it's a little bit different feeling. I definitely stick out. People definitely notice me. I can't slide into the back row of a church. Like Mm -hmm. everybody knows I'm there, but it was a different, a different status, if you will. And uh, my family came out in December of 2019. And we were we were having coffee with some some of my Burundian friends, and they were asking about police. And this was before all the racial stuff here in the U.S. And they said, "Hey, can the police?" You know, they were asking me in Burundi. You know, the police can stop you, and they can give you a hard time, and they can ask for, 
you know, a drink or they can ask you for money. Can they do that in the U.S.? And I go, no, they can't do that to us. And then I thought, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. I have a certain status or privilege mm -hmm. that's never happened to me. Uh -huh. But seeing what happened or the stories that came out in 2020 about racial injustice, that wasn't my story, but you certainly saw a lot of other people where that was their story. Yeah. So I had to backtrack a little bit and said, that's not my experience, but that doesn't mean it doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. I also asked him, you know, after we had all the racial tension in the U.S., I was asking him about, yeah, what's, I specific, specifically said, what, is, what does Black Lives Matter mean to you as a Burundian? Mm -hmm. And they just looked at me like, what are you talking about? And they yeah. said, well, what, what's racism? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We have, we have racism here. We have uh, people groups. Mm -hmm. You know, we have the Hutu and the Tutsi. Yeah. Um, but there's a third people group in Burundi called the Batwa. Mm -hmm. And it's maybe 2% of the population, generally considered marginalized people. And anytime I would talk about race with my friends, they would always mention Hutu and Tutsi. They would never mention Batwa. Mm -hmm. So there, there's this shadow or this veil on a people group. Mm -hmm. that they still don't quite bring into the conversation. And yeah. that's, that's changing with some of the work that we get to partner with. But it was just interesting as I would talk about that, there was still, still a people group that, yeah. that they didn't recognize or bring in. Mm -hmm. So forgive my, my ignorance, but those three groups, are they, they're culturally different, but are, how are they separated? They're, they're different people groups, but do they look similar or tell me like, how are yeah, they, they Burundians would be able to tell okay. this is a Hutu, this is a Tutsi. Um, there's some characteristics that are defined now, how you would define those groups. But the story goes in former times, early on, it was more defined by um, your wealth. So okay. if you were wealthy, you were a Tutsi. If you were a farmer or a gatherer, you were a Hutu. And the story goes that along their history, colonizers came in and said, ah, you have certain characteristics, you're a Tutsi. Okay. You have these characteristics, you're a Hutu. Okay. And they divided the two people groups that way. Hmm. That's, that's how the history goes. Okay. But to me, I can't tell the difference. Mm -hmm. I don't know what they're, I don't know what I'm looking at, um, but they know right away. They even yeah. know nationalities. That guy's a Congolese. Mm -hmm. This lady's from Nigeria. Mm -hmm. They can tell by how they dress, they can tell by how they walk, they can tell by what words they use. Um, so in, in their culture, they're always identifying, who are you exactly, where are you from, yeah. what's your nationality, that kind of thing. Any kind of situation where that puts people in those classes is like heartbreaking. But hearing that, it also kind of makes racism in America even more silly to me. Mm. Like it's just a skin color, that's, all, that's the only difference. Mm. But there's a there's some cultural baggage in Burundi. There's in America too, but there's like some cultural the baggage. There's there's some cultural richness in mm -hmm. those people groups as mm -hmm. well. But still, we're all children of God, right? Yeah, like we're yeah. all created in His image. And some of the biggest joys in working in Burundi is some of the work that we get to do that brings all three of those groups together. Yeah, and uh, it's a blessing to see it when it when it happens. And and it always reminds me of. John's prophecy in Revelation mm -hmm. 7, like every tribe, nation, people, language mm -hmm. yeah. will be before the throne. And Amen. I think that's the, that's the prize, right? That's yeah. what we're trying to get to. And in our humanness and in our systems, we make a mess of it and we keep doing it to one another over and over and over again. But mm -hmm. thank God we have that, uh, that prophecy out there that yeah. that's, that's the ultimate prize. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. 
anyone here from you at least again just at least briefly on that racism thing how was that what was that like for you and your family to be you stick out from everyone you're around yeah for 20 years but then especially the past couple of years what was that like for you yeah well that's this story i shared just just a little bit ago uh was pretty unique because like travis we were looked at with with people who had money and had authority so but i, I just have to say racism is definitely not unique to the American people. I mean, mm-hmm. we're just not that special. <laughs> like we, uh, and like Travis said, racism was alive and well in Thailand among different mm-hmm. people groups and travel groups. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's as long as sin exists, racism is going to exist. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but I definitely, you know, watching how things were unfolding in the U S over the last year was humbled in many ways and mm-hmm. felt like I still had Lots to learn, yeah. lots to learn. But that that emphasis that God's put in my heart when I when I felt just maybe just a little hint of racism, um, how God had called me not to focus on my rights but rather to be a light. I just echo what Travis said, and that the, the point of all all of us here on earth is to give God glory, and then to see us get to the throne room one day with as many different people and nationalities and races as we can possibly find. Yeah. And so I think when we have that heart of God, um, that's the gospel we preach to all nations, all races, and then the end will come. Mm-hmm. That kind of mindset of, of a missionary to say, it's not about our otherness. It's about, hey, together mm-hmm. we're God's family. And so we look at those those things and how we can cross barriers, cross bridges for the sake of the gospel, mm-hmm. not just for peace, you know, in terms of, we're not just trying to get rid of racism. Like we're, mm-hmm. we're trying to see the kingdom come. And yeah. uh, so that's, that's what we focus on. Yeah. That's good. All right. I want to make sure we have some time to talk about church, American mm-hmm. church. So again, Travis, so um, I attend and work at Ridgepoint church in Wichita. Travis was here as well. So I've known Travis for a very long time. So our church experience, our American church experience is extremely similar. So walk me through the first time you walk into a Burundi church service. What are you thinking? What's different? What's the same? What do you love? What do you struggle with? What was it like? In a Burundi church, you will uh, you will hear it before you see it. There's a lot of noise. Um, if I walk into a Burundi church, more often than not, I'm going to be led to the front. I'm going to be seated as a guest, a guest of honor. Uh, I may even be asked to share a word, mm-hmm. and there have been times where I've not prepared to do that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no prep. Shocked. Yeah. You're preaching been, today. Yes, you are okay. preaching. Yes. We have a visitor today, and he's preaching. I'm what? <laughs> um, yeah, that has happened. You know, in general, three hours, four hours. You're there for the morning. Uh, you could have multiple choirs, kids choir, you know, adult choir, worship band. Uh, you could have prayer time that goes on and on. Yeah, you would have an offering, uh, you would have a, a sermon, and if the guest speaker is delivering the sermon and it's not long enough, the senior pastor will get up and make sure that we cover the time. He will keep, continue and, and extend our time there. But yeah, it's, it's joyful, it's rich, there's a lot of dancing, uh, there's a lot of excitement, and there's a lot of faith, there's a lot of hope. Um, it's, it's prayerful, and it's, we expect God to show up. Mm-hmm. And, and walk with us in our time together in worship and our weeks ahead. Yeah. What did you enjoy and what was hard? Like for me, a four-hour church service would take me a while to get used to that. <laughs> what What was, when you were there, what was like, oh man, I would love to be back at Ridgepoint right now. Or <laughs> I never want to go. This is awesome. Like what, what were some of the 
things you kind of wrestle with. Yeah, it can it can be an assault, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of noise, so you're just rattled. Uh, I've learned to take the African style and maybe I'll show up an hour late, you know, so I won't <laughs> get the full four hours. Maybe I'll get two and a half. I can do that. Sometimes there's not a translator or the translator mm-hmm. cannot overpower the microphone or the pastor okay. that's screaming into the microphone. So I don't always understand what the message is. But for me, I've almost enjoyed not having a translator. Hmm. I just want to be in the moment. I want to be spiritually aware of what's coming in the space. And so I've learned to just enjoy that. Maybe I'm not plugged into what they're saying or what they're talking about, but God is reserved or God has this time for me to worship in my in my space and to listen and just to be spiritually connected, even if I can't uh, understand in my mind what's being said or what's being uh, spoken. So there's good and bad. You don't throw the whole thing out, but mm-hmm. you try to you try to feel what does God have for me in these four hours, in these 30 mm-hmm. minutes, in this two hours, in these 90 minutes, whatever that space is yeah. for me. Yeah. And again, just for those of us who haven't been there, what, what does it actually look like? Is it a small room? You said there's microphones. Is it like 100 people? Like what, what, is it, what does it look like? Yeah, I've seen all kinds of church services. Um, I've seen dirt floors. I've seen tile floors. I've seen wooden benches. I've seen plastic chairs. I've seen an open roof. The facility's not finished, and mm-hmm. oh, the rain's coming. We got to scoot all our chairs over and, <laughs> and be under the tarp or whatever. Could be a hundred people. Could be two hundred people. Could be sixty people. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's all shapes and sizes, and it's uh, that's also been a fun experience just to see how the other side of the world, quote unquote, does church. Yeah, and it's it's refreshing. And it's a, it's always a, an enjoyable experience. Mm-hmm. So now I want you to be honest <laughs> and I want to hear what your thought was the first time you walked back into Ridgepoint. Again, it's what you've known forever. You are our head usher. Everyone <laughs> yeah. knows you. <laughs> yeah. So when, when you walk in and you see, oh my gosh, there's, there's lights and there's fog on stage and there's, it's a tight 60 minutes down to the second. And it's, I would imagine that'd be hard to re- step into that space well uh, my heart wept a little for these poor ushers that don't have anything to do now they don't have bulletins no bulletins. they don't have offerings <laughs> and, uh, you can't shake hands and greet people or slap people on the back so you have to be careful so they're uh but they're doing their best i did notice our schedule mm-hmm. uh the first service that i attended was one two three songs of worship boom 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 we got the little video for introducing the sermon pastor got up and spoke 30, 40 minutes. That was it. Boom. Lights come back on. We all leave. <laughs> and it was like, you know, not, it's not bad. It was just noticeable for me coming mm-hmm. from the experiences that I had had over the last three years. And yeah, we, this is how we do our church thing. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's on schedule and it's organized and it's planned. Again, not that it was bad. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed mm-hmm. the message. I enjoyed the songs, but I just noticed the organization. Mm-hmm. And again, I want you to be honest, is it hard for you to go back from, you know, dirt floors, open roof to nice building, nice equipment? Like does, does the wealth part of it bother you or is that just culture and that's how it is? Or what was that for you? You know, the, the wealth bothers me, but in a way it's our culture, I would say Mm -hmm. like nobody's coming to a building where there are mice running through the halls. Nobody's coming to a building in America that has a dirt floor. Like we like nice things. We like clean things. We like things to look sharp and to clean and and bright colors. So in some ways, I understand that. I understand our cultural side of it. But the wealth is a lot. 
and we have great resources. Um, I think what I've noticed since being back is how many opportunities we have. Hmm. Opportunities to get a job, opportunities yeah. to buy things, opportunities to consume things. Uh, I notice it most with restaurants. There mm -hmm. are, I go from Burundi where I have maybe five choices of a mm -hmm. restaurant, a nice place to eat to 500 places in Wichita. Like we just have opportunity and resources that can be good, used for good, mm -hmm. but can often be used for bad or wasteful purposes. Yeah. yeah. Okay, Andy, you're up. Walk us through a worship service in Thailand. And you're also in a unique situation because you play guitar, you occasionally lead worship. Yeah. You've been a pastor. Yeah. You're in a unique situation where you're coming back to America to be a pastor yeah. <laughs> in a culture that you admit is a little strange. You're having trouble. It's it's hard to get used to. Yeah. So just the kind of same questions. Walk us through what it's like there and back. And so similar to Travis, there's lots of different varieties and styles of churches in Thailand. But the average church is probably 30 to 40 people. It's a small group. You know, they might mm -hmm. have a guitar or two um, and uh, that may or may not be in tune. Um, <laughs> and, I, you know, when I first went to Thailand... If, and this is maybe a good example of a cultural difference. I just thought people just didn't know how to tune their guitars. And I just thought, I'll bring a Bible and a tuner to every every new believer. Like, um, Thailand will be saved. <laughs> One tuner at a time. Yes. But then I realized that Thailand actually has a different, a whole different scale, like a musical scale. Oh, okay. And so when people are used to, it's based on whole notes that are equally spaced, not the half note system we have in Western scales. Okay. And so I was really, I was like, oh, okay. So that's why it sounds different to me. But um, so the Chris Tomlin G, C, D minor E, just, yeah, that just didn't but flow the, over the there. The ironic thing is, is that that's what people wanted to do, you know? And uh -huh. so I went over thinking I'd learn their style of music, but people really wanted to learn guitar and wanted to learn those things. And so, and so I do feel like there was opportunities to, to bring some equipping in some of those spaces for people who, who just, you know, they wanted to do better. They didn't know. Mm -hmm. So whether it was tuning their guitar, whether it was, and one church, uh, there was just feedback every time anyone walked up to the mic. And I went back and the EQs were all up at the top. Like they'd all just oh, been pushed up as max because they just figured that's, you know, why else would it be anything or else but it's the max <laughs> for every yeah, single EQ band. <laughs> and so uh, so just helping to learn. And I, I am a person who just loves a well-thought-out, well-planned, hit all five senses, worship experience that's intentional, mm -hmm. you know? And uh, I think I love that. And so sometimes churches that, that would not necessarily be in the planning or any of those, that would be hard for me sometimes to just be like, oh, wow, a little bit of thought could have could make this much more powerful in terms of experiencing the presence of God here. But that's just my own probably judgmental cultural highs <laughs> too. I don't know. Because it's a typical Thai service. Yeah, it goes long, like Travis said. Uh, Better to better to show up late than to leave early because um, there's always a meal afterwards. Because for a lot of the people, that's their family. Like that's that's family to them, and they may not see each other, but they're they don't run into Christians throughout the week. And so this is like Sunday. They'll have they'll have a meal after church. They'll have their church meetings after that, and youth group after that, and they just hang out all yeah. day long. Mm -hmm. And so uh, and that is really beautiful to see church as family like that. And uh, so I feel like. That was something that was was special for us to experience too. Was a real sense that hey, we're not no one's no one's rushing out the door like sometimes you experience here in, in, in American churches. Like yeah. service over, people are out. Yeah, but their service is over. 
we're just getting started. You know, mm-hmm. now we can actually have fun. <laughs> Not the the worship service wasn't fun, but uh, yeah, yeah. So it was definitely different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As you step back, what things stick out to you? Like, do, is it the, the tight sixty minutes, or what other things are like? Oh, this is clearly an American church service. Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, I don't know. I think there are certain elements of of that that God calls us to be about in the church. You know, that include worship, include you know teaching from the Word, that include fellowship, that include prayer, and those things are all there mm-hmm. in Thai churches and in American churches how we structure it and those different things can, can be different, mm-hmm. but we, we hit all those things. I do think though, that our cultural lens is really to get back to some of the things we were talking about earlier, play into how we look at church. Mm-hmm. And so while churches in the U S were, were questioning whether we should meet in person or not meet in person again, I, who am I to judge on anyone's uh, motive on that, except mm-hmm. to say that, Maybe that could have come from a cultural lens of saying we have rights and it's our right to be able to meet like this. For a culture like Thailand, where they're not as thinking as much about their individual rights, I was just so blessed to watch our Thai church and many Thai churches not worry about meeting physically in a building, but rather our Thai church in Chiang Mai just gathered thousands of, of survival packets and just went out into neighborhoods they'd always wanted to go visit Mm-hmm. And just go and, and share the gospel in these places. And they yeah. honestly saw more people saved mm-hmm. when they weren't meeting in person yeah. than they ever had when they were meeting every Sunday. Wow. And it was when I, we saw that, it kind of made us think, hmm, maybe maybe they've got, got things going okay here. Maybe we yeah. can uh, think about helping some of the places. Mm-hmm. So not to say there's not a need for missionaries there. There is, but... Uh, there was definitely a sense that they were understood how to do church, so to speak, yeah. in a way that I feel like was pleasing to God. I'm glad you brought that up because one of my perceptions is that American Christians love to debate and point fingers about theological differences. So we'll say, oh, the Reformed people think this and they hate that we do this and the Baptists do this, and the Methodists do this. Yeah. And I don't get that perception from Thailand or Burundi. Is well, that true? Or what, how does in that... Thailand, like it's less than half of 1% Christian. So if you find a believer, like you're a brother or a sister, like, <laughs> yeah. and you're not that concerned on, you know, whether they follow the same reformed theological system that you do. Mm-hmm. Like, so there's a lot more sense of, Hey, we're, we're in this together. It's going to be easier to find common ground because uh, we are such a minority in the culture anyways. Yeah. So that's just the reality in a, in a place that's relatively unreached. I don't know what it's like in Burundi. Burundi would be primarily Catholic. So there is a, but you can evangelize, you can be open. Um, it'd be Catholic and then Protestants. And within the Protestants, you would have Friends Church, Methodist, Assemblies of God. You would have all different denominations in there. They mm-hmm. would have their certain beliefs. Yeah. So it's it's still prevalent in, yeah. in Burundi as well. And as much as the three of us love MB world, but it sounds like um, in that context, it, it's easier for them to work together if they're not exactly theologically aligned. Would you say that's true or not necessarily? Like, are there are there huge wars about infant baptism in Burundi? Or pick 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 a thing, whatever you want, whatever you want to fight about. <laughs> There's not so much uh, uh, battles about the issues. It's more um, distrust mm-hmm. because of their difficult history. It's mm-hmm. difficult for me to trust my fellow pastor mm-hmm. because he just wants to take my church. He just mm-hmm. wants to. Uh, be the most important, the big man. He wants to say all the right things so people will like him more and not like me. Okay. So 
it's more of a trust issue, I would say, in my opinion, uh, coming from the outside and looking at it. It's more about trust than it is about the, the issues of mm. how do you interpret scripture. Okay. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. That's a really fascinating point. Well, it's Thank you so much for bringing that up. Yeah, it's really interesting. And, and cultures that are more, again, not that I'm a cultural expert, but more focused on honor, shame, your relationships, and the, the kind of dynamic of where you are and the power, and can I trust you, is so much more important than in a culture which is more focused on right or wrong, guilt or innocence, mm -hmm. having the right mm -hmm. thoughts about things. And so, yeah, I think that's, that's really insightful. Yeah, definitely. Yes, we, we could talk for days. I want to make sure I give you plenty of time. What else are we as American Christians blind to? As whether when you went or when you came back, what else is just normal to us that you, you see in a different light that we can learn from? What else is different culturally, in the church, politically, economically, anything? First thing that comes to my mind is, is my surrender. Mm -hmm. I have to surrender my rights. I'll use a controversial phrase. It's a God-given right that I can own a gun. Mm-hmm. Not in Burundi. Mm -hmm. Nobody has a gun. Only the military, only the police. Yeah. So as American coming into this, I have to surrender that right. Yeah. And what Andy was talking about, you know, that's that's something individualistic to us. We we want to fight for our rights. We want to defend our rights. And that's important in our culture. Um, but as I've had to go as I've gone cross culturally, that's something that maybe I don't get. Mm -hmm. Maybe I don't always get to be comfortable. Maybe I don't, I don't always understand the sermon. I was joking uh, with some friends that I would say about a third of the time, I have no idea what's going on. I don't know if I'm supposed to speak. I don't know if I can leave yet. I don't know how to greet somebody. Um, and I just have to surrender that sometimes. I'm not going to have all the answers. Mm -hmm. And I'm just trying to be there, be in that presence. And... And so I try to observe, and I think that's an important word as you go cross-culturally, as you're in your own culture, um, mm -hmm. those things that divide us, what do we observe? What do we see? Do we have that renewed mind mm -hmm. that Andy was talking about in Romans 12? That Are we seeing the world as Jesus sees the world, or are we seeing the world as we think it ought to be, <laughs> the, way, yeah. the way we think it should be, the way our culture says it should be, or do we observe the whole world? as Jesus observes the world. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, well said. I, I just have have to say, I have so much hope um, for the American church and so much. <laughs> that must be an outsider thing. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe because I'm new here. Yeah, I was gonna say. <laughs> but there, we have so much more that can bring us together. We have a common mission and we have a common enemy mm -hmm. and we share in the kingdom of God together. And so... I just, I just want to say to the American church, like, um, yeah, let's continue to, to focus on the things that bring us together, like that common mission. And being a person who travels to, like, I, being a missionary, it's, I think it's one of the best jobs in the world. Like, we get to be about every day what we feel like is the most important thing, yeah. is, which is the kingdom and his business and undivided attention. Um, but it's such a gift and I would want that for everyone to be able to have this sense that I'm here for a purpose. I'm not here for that long. I'm not here to make this world and this country my home, but to get us and everyone around us ready for another, like a heavenly citizenship. So I just, I just think that common mission can, um, can unite us. I think a common 
knowing our common enemy, which is not flesh and blood, which is not someone who dis- mm. disagrees with this on this or that, yeah. but to say, yeah, we have an enemy and you're not him, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so somehow we can find common ground to work together as believers. Um, it just, I think when we can rally around that, there's so, like we were saying before, so many people around the world look to the U.S. and we have so many resources, so much opportunity to be a blessing to the rest of the world, as we have been mm-hmm. uh, over the last many years, as we've sent missionaries and sent resources. And uh, I, I want to see that carry on in yes. an exponential way and mm-hmm. uh, to see the American church rise up into all that God has for us. So I'm hopeful. I'm mm-hmm. excited. I know it's it's a rough season right now, but I also look back at American history, knowing that some of the greatest revivals came after some of the most divisive times in our history. Yeah. And so I'm praying for that, mm-hmm. that we can we can say, wow, this this life and what we get focused on is not what it's about. But mm-hmm. uh, we're, we're united at the foot of the cross. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that's where we find our hope. Yeah. Just a couple of closing thoughts and feel free to chime in. I think I learned so much about myself and about God and the world when I traveled. Like, I'm so glad I was in the opportunity where I could go to different countries and learn about how people worship, how people, how culture. I think it's just so important to learn beyond what you've been grown, what you've grown up in. And I'm sure Burundian, Burundians, am I saying that yeah, right? Burundians. They would, it's good, probably, probably good for them to come to America or Thailand or all of us. It's beneficial to see how other people live just to grow our understanding of ourselves, of the world and of God. And one thing that you said, Travis, that hit me is since America is so divided right now, some people may not get that chance to go to Burundi or Thailand, but we have countercultures all around us. Mm. Like even people who look a lot like me, I may have absolutely nothing in common with them other than that I look like them. Mm-hmm. And so we're interacting counterculturally <laughs> all the time. Right. And so I just, I think even if you never leave America, a lot of what we've been talking about is wise, like listen, take time to, figure out where they're coming from before you assume that you're right about things like that is just wise living. I would say whether or not, whether you're in America or anywhere else, that's a good way to live. <laughs> so I, I would agree. I think that is a lot of what Jesus was saying when he tells us to go, you always, mm-hmm. you know, go, go, go. And maybe it's Jerusalem. Maybe it's, maybe it's Judea and Samaria. Maybe it's mm-hmm. the ends of the earth. Maybe yeah. it's Burundi. Maybe it's Thailand or maybe it's across the street. Like go yeah. experience this world that he's created and I think a lot of times we we grow when we're uncomfortable. Yeah. I don't know what's going on. I don't like the food. I don't understand this person. But I think those are opportunities to to grow as we go. Yeah. And like Paul said, I become all things to all people, mm-hmm. not just for fun or not just to experience the different cultures and go on a mission trip, but for the sake of the gospel. Yeah. And so yeah. that's our calling as we go yeah. is to. And it's going to another culture just in a way allows us to see our culture so much better. Yeah. And what we're, you know, the glasses we've grown up wearing and we can appreciate things so much differently. So it's a beautiful, beautiful thing to be about um, the king's business and crossing cultures for the sake of the gospel. Yeah. It's awesome. Guys, this has been awesome. I wish we could keep going for hours and hours and hours. Um, we don't do this very often. Andy, can I ask you to pray to close mm-hmm. us out? Absolutely. So people listening, whatever their main takeaways are, cultural differences, um, living better in America, whatever is on your heart, do you just close us in prayer? Let's do it. Mm-hmm. Father God, we thank you that you are the creator of heaven and earth. Thank you that you are the creator of humanity. And you are the father of mercies and the God of all comfort. You look at us with love. 
thank you that you have created us for a purpose and uh, we find our purpose in you and our the point of our life is to point to you and point others to you as well so god just Help us to have the wisdom to know how to do that. God, in our day-to-day lives, when we live in a messy culture, in a country that seems so divided, that's it's, um, uh, just so many different challenges in this season right now. Lord, I pray that you would um, help us to have those daily renewed minds uh, to be able to follow you with great wisdom, with great courage. Um, help the church in America to rise up, um, to be renewed, Uh, to experience revival, and to keep giving, praying, and going uh, for the sake of the least reached around the world. So we just give you all glory. Thanks, God, for this this conversation. Thanks for our USMB tribe, and we just uh, pray for your blessing on us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys. Excellent. Thanks. Have you missed gathering in person with members of our USMB family? Come to USMB Gathering 2022, our biennial National Pastors Conference and National Convention, July 26th through the 30th of 2022, in Independence, Missouri, near Kansas City. At Gathering 2022, you'll join with other members of our USMB family for worship, inspiration, resourcing, fellowship, and instruction. You'll have the opportunity to meet new friends, pray together, and hear stories of the exciting things God is doing as we increase our impact together. Save the date and plan to join us in North Kansas City for USMB Gathering, July 26th through the 30th, 2022. Well, I am so grateful for people like Andy and Travis who not only share the gospel with people around the world, but they also come back here and have so much to teach us about our own faith, about our own culture, And I just really, really appreciated that conversation. I hope you learned a lot, just like I did. So many thanks once again to Andy and Travis uh, for the great work around the world and back here in the States. And I'm just reminded time and time again that there is just so much we don't know. The world is so big, we are so small, and I think it's wise and healthy to live with that perspective. Um, So again, if you're able to travel, I think that's a great thing to do to learn more about yourself and God and the world. But even if you're just in your neighborhood day to day, I think we encounter people who are different from us all the time. And just a a God-honoring way to live is to um, assume you don't know everything, (laughs) to live with humility and try to um, learn more about the people around us so we can be more effective witnesses. I think that's very, very important. Okay, well, thank you again so much for listening today wherever you are. Hope you're doing well. And we are already looking forward to another episode coming up soon. So have a great rest of your week. And we will see you next time right here on The Lead Pods. Thanks for listening to Lead Pods. Make sure you don't miss an episode by subscribing to our show wherever you're listening today. Learn more by visiting usmb.org. And be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We'll see you next time as we learn more practical tools to increase our impact together.